From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the intense rainfall in Beijing over the last few days has killed at least 11 people, and many others are still missing. Tuesday, it marks the 96th founding anniversary of the People's Liberation Army. The head of the UN has strongly condemned the suicide bombing at a political rally in Pakistan. In business, China's new measures for boosting the private economy. In sports, Chinese uh, divers continue to shine at the World University Games in Chengdu. In culture and entertainment, tracing the evolution of China's writing system. Now the day's top stories. Intense rainfall from the remnants of Typhoon Doksuri has killed at least 11 people in Beijing. 13 remain missing. Heavy rains and flooding have affected more than 40,000 people in the capital city. Rain in northern China eased on Tuesday and authorities have downgraded alerts for rainstorms. But the highest level warning for flood response is still in place. In neighboring Hebei province, nine people are dead, six are missing as a result of the rains. Shijiazhuang suffered flooding. A Ninghong went to the city not far from the capital to find out about cleanup efforts. To combat the issue of urban water logging, personnel from urban management system are on the move, racing to conduct crucial operations, ensuring that debris is cleaned promptly from drainage outlets. In response to the current rain situation, we've sprung into action, activating our emergency plan. All units are standing by, working tirelessly on the front lines to safeguard against flooding and ensure everyone's safe passage through the city. As the heavy rainfall persists, over 7,300 flood control personnel have been deployed throughout Shijiazhuang City. They were dispatched to various streets and underground bridges to addressing urgent issues like sinking roads before they escalate. Citywide, our drainage team is on high alert, with all hands on deck at 33 pump stations and underground bridges. 
Our actions are driven by real-time rain data, adjusting pump operations accordingly. Additionally, we have opened all the water barriers on rivers to ensure smooth flow and to prevent further complications. To ensure the safety of citizens, the traffic management department has deployed police officers to guard critical areas like underpasses, overpasses, and railway bridges. Constant monitoring of water levels is allowing them to take swift action, implementing temporary traffic control measures to prevent accidents and protect the well-being of the city's residents. That was Ning Hong in Shijiazhuang. In the meantime, another typhoon is intensifying. Meteorologists say Canaan will enter the East China Sea on Wednesday, then move toward China's eastern coastal regions. It's brushed past the Philippines, and Gretchen Malalat has more. The Philippines is still reeling from the effects of Typhoon Doxura, which left more than a dozen people dead and over a million Filipinos affected. Now, Typhoon Kanun has intensified and it has accelerated over the Philippine Sea. I'm here in Malolos, Bulacan, in the village of Katmod. From where I am standing right now, it's only knee-deep. But as you go further, uh, the houses here are flooded up to chest deep. Residents here are still trying to recover from the aftermath of Typhoon Doksuri, but the threat of monsoon rains by Typhoon Kanun has even made the floods here higher. The river here has overflown and inundated the houses in this village. My kids are with my mother-in-law because we don't have any place to sleep because our house is flooded. Our situation now is so difficult. We also haven't worked in days because we can't leave our families like this. Our situation is hard. It's so difficult to keep all of our things dry and put them on a higher place in our house. Our appliances are heavy. We also need food and clean water. There's damage to agriculture and around 14,000 individuals were displaced. But it's not only here in Bulacan that has been badly affected by the typhoon. Several provinces in the northern Philippines. That was Gretchen Alalad reporting. On the opposite end of the extreme weather spectrum, Spain's facing severe water shortages after reservoirs across the country dried up under high temperatures. Many areas are restricting water use, and some towns have to rely on trucks to deliver fresh water. Ken Brown reports from Cordoba. Life without fresh water on tap. The town of Belmeth in Cordoba has relied on water delivery for over two months now. Families fill bottles for drinking and cooking water. The Sierra Boyera Reservoir is just a four-minute drive away, but that's been empty since April. It dropped to such low levels that thousands of fish died and the water was deemed unsafe for human consumption. It hasn't rained enough here since 2018 and over 80,000 people depend on the Sierra Boyera for fresh water, farming, tourism and industry. For the first time ever, the people of Belmeth, population 3,000, are relying on outside water. Emilio Marquez is a civil protection volunteer and he helps bring water to older residents. This is criminal. We can't go on like this much longer. The situation is awful. Just awful. It's sad seeing the town like this. There are a lot of older people who can't manage as well as the young. The Civil Protection Service has to help us. Temperatures have soared in successive heat waves in Cordoba, reaching above 44 degrees Celsius. These extreme temperatures have exacerbated the drought, increasing evaporation and leaving people in towns like Belmeth fearing for the future. A town with no water has no future. That's obvious. 
This used to be a mining area, but the mines were closed by the politicians. Now all that's left is agriculture, livestock and crop farming. And without water, that won't survive either. Water restrictions have been imposed in over 100 towns and cities across the south of Spain. And conflicts of interests have arisen between environmentalists, farmers and industry. Water conflict has become political too, split along Spain's left-right divide. With the right siding with local farmers and industry, the left in line with the EU's climate action policy. Spain is bearing the brunt of Europe's water problems, which some fear are only just beginning. That was Ken Brown on water shortages in Spain. Our rates of dengue are rising globally as temperature rise helps the spread of the mosquito-borne disease. The World Health Organization is calling the world's fastest-spreading tropical disease a pandemic threat. WHO figures show that the Americas have reported uh, nearly 3 million cases so far this year. That's already more than the total number from 2022 of 2.8 million. The bulk of new cases came from Brazil with over 2 million infections. Peru reported nearly 200,000 cases. Dan Collins in Lima shares observations from the WHO tropical disease expert Ramon Valledun. Peru is just one of the countries in South America facing a dengue epidemic as cases peak around the world. A perfect storm of hotter and wetter climactic conditions has helped mosquitoes, which spread the disease, multiply faster. The conditions have also helped the virus multiply within the insect's bodies. That has triggered a record peak in dengue cases in Peru and historic highs across South America. And the American region alone, for example, has reported about 2.8 million cases uh, and 1,280 deaths in 2022. But right now, they have almost touched the same figure. We have nearly 3 million cases there and almost equal number of deaths. Uh, covering a large number of countries and the southern spread of the disease, especially in parts of Bolivia, Paraguay and Peru, is a matter of concern. Last month, hospitals in Peru were overrun with dengue patients. I have just vomited blood. I have body pains, intense fever and chills, muscle pain. I have been like this for two days now. The World Health Organization says half the population of the world is now at risk from the virus, impacting some 129 countries. While the number of cases of the disease, fatal in fewer than 1% of them, has exploded. If you really look at the picture of the trends, in 2000 we had about half a million cases, and today we, in 2022, we recorded over 4.2 million cases, which really shows an eightfold increase. And actually, this can be much higher as we get more and more accurate figures. The trend for dengue in 2023 is on track for 4 million plus, Vela Yudin says, but much will depend on the monsoon season in Asia. Cases registered by the WHO hit an all-time high in 2019 with 5.2 million cases. Beyond climate change, the WHO says other factors, including the increased movement of goods and people, more urbanization and poor sanitation are also fueling the increase in cases. That was Dan Collins in Peru. Coming up, celebrating the PLA's 96th anniversary. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. 
Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Right, 11 minutes past the hour. Well, August 1st is China's Army Day, and this year it marks the 96th anniversary of the founding of the People's Liberation Army. The just-concluded PLA Air Force Open Day in Chengchun has showcased some of the country's most advanced aircraft. Zhao Yunfei reports. The H-6K bomber is a self-developed aircraft by China. Its development stems from several modifications that can be traced back to the former Soviet Union's Tu-16. Senior Colonel Wei Xiaogang says he has undergone rigorous training to fly the jet. If you want to be faster and master more skills, you have to use your spare time and exert more effort than others. Our aircraft improves with each generation. Although this H-6K may look similar to the H-6, it has undergone significant changes. Wei is not just a pilot, however. He also serves as a flight instructor. He has been coaching multiple generations of aviators. Compared to the students from 20 years ago, the current students have a higher level of education, broader horizons, more active thinking and better learning ability. However, their personalities are more prominent. Our job is to use different methods according to their different personalities to help them grow and learn combat skills as soon as possible. Aside from the H-6K, the aircraft demonstrated at the Open Day event showcased the PLA Air Force's 70-year history of improvements, transitioning from importing equipment to innovation. The PLA Air Force is strategically open-minded, and our activities show that we are becoming more and more confident. In fact, the PLA Air Force has always presented itself in various forms. The Open Day is just one of many opportunities to showcase the PLA's disciplined troops, advanced equipment, and its capability to meet the strategic requirements of military modernization. General Secretary Xi Jinping calls for the high-quality development of the armed forces. General Secretary Xi has demanded efforts in building a modern governance system for the armed forces to provide a strong guarantee for achieving the goals of the PLA centenary. The heroic People's Army has always resolutely obeyed the party's command, forced elite troops, and made immortal contributions to national independence, people's liberation, and national prosperity. With 96 years of endeavor, the PLA has become a staunch force for safeguarding national sovereignty and security and maintaining world peace and stability. That was Zhao Yunfei reporting from the PLA Air Force Open Day event in northeast China. This year marks the 10th anniversary of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. President Xi Jinping has pledged China's efforts to further build the corridor into an exemplary project of high-quality Belt and Road cooperation. In a congratulatory message, President Xi said the two sides will continue to coordinate development and deepen ties to make greater contributions to peace and prosperity at home and in the broader region. Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng attended a celebratory event in the Pakistani capital. Daniel Kam takes a closer look at the impacts of this economic corridor from Islamabad. Chinese President Xi Jinping unveiled the Belt and Road Initiative in 2013. It is an investment program which envisions to enhance the economic integration of nearly 70 transcontinental countries, representing more than two-thirds of the world's population along the route of the historic Silk Road. The multi-billion dollar China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, or CPEC, became the flagship project of the BRI, symbolizing a commitment to bolstering their long-standing friendship and cooperation. Over the past decade, CPEC has witnessed a remarkable transformation 
in terms of infrastructure development. From modern highways and railways to energy projects and a deep seaport, CPAC has paved the way for faster and more efficient trade routes, reducing travel time and logistics costs significantly. Both the governments are pushing that uh, the remaining uh, projects of CPAC must be uh, pushed with all the, all the force and we must take advantage of uh, Chinese expertise, you know, China, Chinese guideline and Chinese investment and expertise that, that we look for. Uh, I think uh, uh, besides celebrations, we, we need to be very serious uh, and do, do some serious thinking on how can we, taking help of China, uh, move forward. The economic benefits of CPEC have been substantial for both China and Pakistan. It has attracted massive foreign direct investment stimulating economic growth and creating numerous job opportunities for locals. While CPEC has been a catalyst for development, it has not been without challenges. As a CPEC watcher, uh, I think uh, the work on CPEC has been satisfactory. Uh, there are problems like it was a gigantic work and uh, it was a huge project and uh, Pakistan went into such project for the first time. Uh, I think uh, we need to build capacity, uh, but we have a lot to celebrate. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Beyond infrastructure and trade, CPEC has made a positive impact on the lives of the people. Social development projects such as educational institutions, healthcare facilities and poverty alleviation programs have improved the quality of life for many in the region. Well, that was Daniel Khan on the benefits of the China-Pakistan economic corridor. Local media say Myanmar's junta has pardoned jailed leader Aung San Suu Kyi on five criminal offenses, but she still remains in detention for numerous other charges. A junta spokesperson says the pardon will mean a reduction of her prison term by six years. Suu Kyi was jailed for 33 years after the military seized power in 2021. Patrick Falk has more. It certainly is a sudden uh, development and it's surprised many people as well. But as many observers will point out, uh, this is really a meaningless move. Aung San Suu Kyi has only been pardoned on five of the 19 offences for which she's been convicted. She was serving a 33-year jail sentence. She's still being detained and so it's not clear still how much time she still has to serve. As one diplomatic source put it, it is a cosmetic move, uh, one to signal to the international community without, if you will, doing anything that's really substantive. It will be seen by countries that favor more engagement with the military government, most notably Thailand. As we know, Thailand's foreign minister recently visited Aung San Suu Kyi in secret in Naypyidaw, and that will be seen by many people as part of what's led to this recent uh, development. Uh, it is a move that was also seen as undermining the ASEAN bloc in having a unified response to the crisis uh, in Myanmar. But it is perhaps a call by the military government to signal to the international community to stop its isolation and that it may be willing to provide further concessions if that's the case. 
I was Patrick Falk reporting. Niger's militaries detained senior politicians after the army ousted the president last week. The junta arrested the ousted government's mines minister, uh, the head of the ruling party, and the oil minister, among others. The African Union, the United Nations, and the European Union have condemned the overthrow of President Mohamed Bazoum. Regional bloc ECOWAS has imposed sanctions and said it could authorize force to reinstate Bazoum. The juntas of neighboring Burkina Faso, Mali, and Guinea have voiced their support for Niger's coup leaders. France is closely monitoring the situation in Niger following the violence that uh, are outside of its embassy in Niamey. Uh, French officials have denied the use of lethal force as some military officials in the African country have claimed. Uh, Ross Cullen reports from Paris. The French Foreign Ministry on Monday did issue a statement in which it said that, quote, the French embassy in Niamey was violently attacked by visibly prepared groups which the Nigerian security forces failed to fully control. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, has said that there will be an immediate and decisive response if French citizens are attacked. Now, France is the former colonial power in Niger and there's a lot at stake for Paris. The state-owned company Orano runs several mines in the country from which uranium is extracted and that's crucial for France's fleet of civil nuclear reactors. France also has military assets in Niger and there are hundreds of French citizens working in the country. For the moment, France has said it fully supports the diplomatic and economic pressure being brought to bear on Niger by ECOWAS, the Economic Community of West African States, the 15-member regional grouping, which is demanding the return of the democratically elected Nigerian president, Mohamed Barzoum. And France has also reiterated that there would be an immediate and relentless response if any of its citizens or assets are targeted. Now, as Ross Cullen on how former colonial power France is responding to developments in Niger. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the UN chief has condemned the suicide bombing at a political rally in Pakistan. Chengdu, a city known for its buzzing nightlife and giant pandas, as well as being a famous foodie destination, is the host city for the 31st Summer World University Games. Athletes from over 80 countries and regions will be competing in 18 sports to fight for a chance to stand on the podium. Who are the star players? What are the highlights of the day's matches? And which team leads the medal table? Tuning to the Beijing Hour on CGTN Radio will bring you the latest news, highlights and previews during this year's Summer World University Games in Chengdu. At 21 minutes past the hour, Deputy Spokesperson Farhan Hawk for the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the UN chief strongly condemns the suicide bombing at a political rally in Pakistan. The Secretary General extends his heartfelt condolences to the families of the victims and wishes a prompt recovery to those injured. He calls on the Pakistani authorities to bring those responsible to justice. The Secretary General denounces all instances of terrorism and deliberate targeted attacks against civilians and stands in solidarity with the government and the people of Pakistan in combating the scourge. The UN Security Council has also condemned the attack, saying that any acts of terrorism are criminal and unjustifiable. The incident happened when the attacker detonated an explosive vest at the political gathering. More than 50 people were killed and hundreds of others have been injured. The Islamic states claimed responsibility for that attack. U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller says they are aware of the reports of two kidnapped American citizens in Haiti. 
obviously the safety and security of uh, American citizens overseas is our highest priority. Uh, we are in regular contact with the Haitian authorities and will continue to work with them and our U.S. government interagency partners, but because it's a, an ongoing law enforcement investigation, uh, there's not any more detail I can offer. Uh, humanitarian aid organization Al Roy Haiti was the or says the abductees include an American nurse and also the wife of the director of the organization and her child. Uh, the two were kidnapped from their campus near Port-au-Prince, where the organization is running a school. The U.S. State Department estimates that there are more than 27 million victims of human trafficking worldwide. Activists say it's a problem that requires long-haul efforts. Alistair Baverstock has more. Tijuana, where Mexico meets California. Situated at the world's busiest land border, it's a hub for human trafficking. Here, women are trafficked from across the world and forced into modern-day slavery. I'm living in hell. I'm here because some people hurt me, took me from my village and are forcing me to work here. They say they will kill me if I'm not working. So the way I am in the club, smiling and happy, that's not how I feel deep down inside. While horrifying, this young woman's story is nothing out of the ordinary here. A la Guadalupe Carrasco is the president of Mexico's leading anti-human trafficking activist organization. The human trafficking situation in Mexico is very serious. Since the start of the pandemic, the government estimates 21.2 million people have been victims of trafficking in Mexico. The government has been taking action in training and prevention, but there is a long way to go. Much like the country's illicit drug trade, a primary market for human traffickers is the United States. The U.S. Department of Justice estimates as many as 17,500 foreign nationals from all parts of the world are trafficked into America each year, with the number of U.S. citizens falling victim to traffickers in their own country even higher. Former Mexican Federal Congresswoman Rossi Orozco is a leading anti-trafficking campaigner. You have good states that have passed legislation like Texas. What about Fort Worth, that is full of strip clubs and places where there is human trafficking? Those places are open. That is not congruent with the uh, speaking that I, uh, governor, I care about it. Yes, governor, close those places. Activists argue the problem requires consistent efforts to combat all year round. That was Alistair Baverstock with a report on calls to tackle human trafficking. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has welcomed a draft UNESCO decision not to list the Great Barrier Reef as in danger. This confirms my government is working hard to protect the reef, is acting on climate change, and that the rest of the world has, of course, taken notice. And I know that this is particularly welcome news for communities in Queensland where the reef supports local jobs and local economies. UN Cultural Agency and the International Union for Conservation of Nature recommended in November that the world's largest coral reef system be added to the list of world heritage in danger due to threats including rising ocean temperatures. But UNESCO issued an updated report saying it would be appropriate to reevaluate whether the Great Barrier Reef fitted the world heritage in danger criteria. The report recommended Australia submit a progress report to the World Heritage Committee on its commitments to make environmental improvements. 
Businesses have been showcasing various gadgets that can help people cool down in hot weather at an exhibition in Tokyo. The Extreme Heat Countermeasures exhibition is showing different technologies, gadgets, and wearable solutions to cope with heat waves. The exhibits include small fans to wear around the neck and large fans that spray a mist over a wide area. The event also showcases gadgets such as cooling sprays and ventilated backpacks. Among the participants is Akagi Foods, which is showing off its ice slurry product. Akagi Foods president Masako Toyama says the product is a refreshing cold drink. This is not really something you eat. Rather, you can think of it as ice that you can drink. It is a texture that's closer to feeling like liquid, and you can just drink the ice. And that's why we call it the ice you can drink, not eat. Uh, Tomoko Tanaka from the event's organizer says demand for technologies and products for cooling will increase in the future. We know there are many cases of heat stroke in people who work in factories, and sometimes we hear these can be fatal. So we want, and I don't mean just through this exhibition, but as the industry as a whole, to focus on developing products that will prevent the risk of heat stroke. Tokyo recorded a record of at least eight days over 35 Celsius last month, and heat stroke alerts have been issued for many parts of Japan. Estonian slackliner Jan Roos has set a new record for the longest LED-lit slackline walk. He completed the walk at the Katara Towers in Qatar. I feel fantastic, actually, after so much work, working at night, trying to find the perfect moment during the day with less wind, with no sun, just to set it up and finally to find a moment to walk it and get to the other side. It feels great. The walk is also Roos's highest urban walk to date at an elevation of over 180 meters. It was performed on a line that was only two and a half centimeters wide. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's at 25 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, a slight rain and 32 Celsius. Uh, Chongqing's at 26 this evening, then moderate rainfall in 33. Lasts us down to 14. Slight rain and 24 tomorrow. Hong Kong dips to 27 overnight. It'll be sunny and 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 25 this evening, a slight rain and 34 on Wednesday. Islamabad gets clear skies overnight and 25, then a slight rain and 34. Uh, Bangkok's down to 28 this evening, then a slight rainfall and 34 on Wednesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the intense rainfall in Beijing over the past few days has killed at least 11 people, with many others still missing. Today marks the 96th founding anniversary of the People's Liberation Army. And the head of the UN strongly condemned the suicide bombing at a political rally in Pakistan. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday. Still to come in business and China's new measures for boosting the private economy. In sports, China's divers continue to shine at the World University Games in Chengdu. In culture and entertainment, tracing the evolution of China's writing system. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. Now a check of the day's headline news.
Well, Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for uh, all-out rescue efforts after torrential rains in the Chinese capital killed 11 people and 13 remain missing. City authorities have evacu- uh, evacuated over 120,000 residents to safer locations. In neighboring Hebei, at least nine people are dead and six are missing as a result of intense rains. Uh, the finance ministry and Ministry of Emergency Management have offered 110 million yuan for the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region in flood relief. Uh, meantime, Beijing has downgraded the rainstorm warning, but the highest alert for flood response remains in place. In Sudan, thousands of refugees are fleeing the Darfur region to neighboring Chad amid clashes between the army and the paramilitary RSF. They're struggling to secure basic shelter and supplies as heavy rains and winds batter makeshift camps. This is the humiliation that we came here to find. My elder brothers would have built us houses to live in if they were alive. I have elderly, weak people with me. My grandmother has nowhere to stay. Please provide us with shelter as soon as possible. This is humiliating. Anyone here has lost three or four people and came here with nothing to eat or drink. Since the previous rainfall, some people do not even have a tarpaulin sheet to cover up. Today the situation is very difficult because there's too much wind, there's no food available. The conditions are extremely difficult, and even the tents have not been set up well. The water seeps into them. United Nations estimates that over 300,000 people have left Darfur for Chad since the conflict broke out in April. They're facing shortages of food, electricity, and water amid violence in residential areas. Powerful typhoon Kanan is lashing the Japanese island of Okinawa with strong winds and high waves. Local transportation suspended and stores have closed. The Japan Meteorological Agency says the typhoon will keep moving west and away from the main Japanese archipelago after moving closest to Okinawa. Up to 18 centimeters of rainfall are expected on the island. Authorities have warned residents of winds, waves and flooding, urging them to stay indoors and away from windows. Local media say Myanmar's junta has pardoned jailed leader Aung San Suu Kyi on five criminal offenses, but she remains in detention for uh, numerous other charges. Suu Kyi was jailed for 33 years after the military seized power in 2021. A junta spokesperson says the pardon will mean a reduction of her prison term by six years. She was convicted for offenses ranging from incitement and election fraud to uh, corruption. Uh, Suu Kyi was moved from prison to house arrest in the capital last week. The military also pardoned former President Win Mint on some of his charges, resulting in a reduction of four years in his jail term. Ousted Niger President Mohamed Bazoum has been seen for the first time since the military detained him last week. Bazoum was seen sitting on a couch, smiling beside President Mohamed Debi of Chad, who flew in to mediate between the government and the junta. Debi's arrival came after West African regional bloc ECOWAS gave coup leaders of Niger a seven-day deadline to free Bazoum and return him to power or face consequences. Military intervention by ECOWAS troops has uh, not been ruled out. Thank you.
Danish Foreign Minister Lars Rasmussen says he hopes that the government's proposal to limit Koran burnings in the country will help to de-escalate a growing international conflict with several Muslim countries. Denmark and Sweden have seen several protests in recent weeks where people have burned or damaged copies of the Koran, prompting outrage in Muslim countries. The governments of those Nordic countries have been urged to put a stop to the burnings. The Danish government says it'll seek to find a legal tool that can enable authorities to intervene in such protests. The UN resident and humanitarian coordinator in Ukraine is warning that the humanitarian crisis in the country is getting worse. Denise Brown made the remarks following her visit to Nikolai and Odessa, where a cathedral hundreds of meters away from the residence and office of UN staff was attacked. What I I saw in Nikolai, what I saw in Odessa last week with my own eyes, is being repeated across many uh, big cities in Ukraine. This morning, again, in Krivovi, uh, an apartment building was hit. People have been killed. The official warns that the number of people in need is increasing, but the humanitarian response plan is uh, only 30% funded. She also vows efforts to continue to provide those in need with assistance. That's your headline news update. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, China's new measures for boosting the private economy. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. We're at 36 past the hour. Turning to business now and uh, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish lower on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. Trade was fairly active on the Chinese mainland markets, but A-shares still didn't really go anywhere. Uh, We saw the Shanghai Composite Index closing uh, almost unchanged. The Shenzhen component uh, retreated by about a third of 1%. Uh, Investors were slightly discouraged by uh, Tai Xin's uh, private PMI survey result, which showed activity at China's smaller manufacturers slipping back into contraction territory in July. And there was also some uh, lackluster property data, which left uh, developers trading a little bit lower. That came from uh, the uh, private group, the China Real Estate Information Corporation, and uh, showed that the top 100 property developers in the country posted an average annualized 33% drop in sales last month. July is usually the slow season for home sales in China, of course, but uh, many of the country's top developers have uh, nevertheless reported big sales slumps this year. China Vanka reported a more than 50% decline in sales and its shares were down by more than 1%. Poly Developments was one of only a few which managed to grow its sales in July, but stock was caught in the general downturn for the sector and finished slightly lower. Uh, financials, healthcare and consumer stocks also fell, and they were offsetting uh, gains for China's power providers, which were trading higher, and uh, oil companies, which were gaining ground as well. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dipped a little bit. In Japan, the Nikkei gained over nine-tenths of a percent. China's top economic regulators unveiled detailed measures to boost the private economy in Beijing. Gao Ang has more. Promoting fair access, strengthening legal protection, optimizing business-related services, and creating a good atmosphere. China's top economic planner released 28 measures in the latest efforts to spur growth of the private economy. 
The measures further specify the areas to support the private economy to take the lead in undertaking scientific and technological research tasks, namely six areas including industrial software, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, industrial internet, gene and cell medicine, and new energy storage. Officials also stress improving the business environment, including promoting in-depth market-oriented reforms, accelerating building the rule of law, and continuing to promote internationalization. We have established a normal communication mechanism with private enterprises, through which we can fully listen to their opinions and suggestions and help them solve practical problems. The private economy has been critical in driving China's economy. Official data shows that the share of tax revenue from private enterprises increased from under 50 percent to almost 60 percent from 2012 to 2021. And in 2022, over 50 percent of foreign trade was conducted by private enterprises. To promote fair access for private enterprises, Officials say they'll work to support them to participate in major scientific and technological research and improve their capacity in key links of supply and industrial chain. That was Gao Ang reporting. And for more on the new measures, Lily Liu spoke to uh, Chu Cheng, a research fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. Many of these new measures are aimed at supporting private economy. What are the most important factors in creating a level playing field? I think the most important factor is, you know, uh, they issued a new policy for managing and rating the private sector. You know, Huawei is a private sector and also Papa Mama restaurant is a private sector. Sometimes you mix them all up. That's the reason why they don't quite get the fair access to the market because it's very hard to pull a very clear picture towards uh, the candidate of the private sectors. And now with this new rating and management systems, everybody will understand which private company can meet the standard of the government project, and then they will have a very clear a name list uh, to let them to come in, in very clear, not vague. So I think this is a great uh, move forward. And secondly, about, you know, uh, they prioritize their uh, payment uh, acceptable and also to give them a favorable uh, tax rebate and the loan conditions. And these are all the policies that come after that. But I think give them a clear entry and also give them a fair play in the market threshold. That is the most important thing. And also among the measures or the mentioning of uh, infrastructure rates, how is that going to help with expanding private investment? You know, infrastructure investment is very important in Chinese economy. Everybody knows that. But this is a big chunk play by the big players, by the big boys. But for the private sectors, they have big companies and small companies. Sometimes they don't have such a financing power to get access to the infrastructure project. But now it's a right. You can break down all the chunk investment into small pieces. So everybody can, according to their own power uh, resources, and just uh, try to you know, invest uh, uh, the due fair share into it. So no matter you are a big company or small company in the private sector, you all have access into the government or big infrastructure investment uh, you know, project. For example, you can invest in a toll gate, you can invest in the uh, towed highway, and then you don't need to have the large chunk of the financing power, and then you can get access to the profit as well. And that was Chu Chung breaking down the new measures for China's private economy.
Leading international petroleum company, Sinopec, has delivered its first cargo of fuel for the Sri Lankan market. A Sri Lanka's power and energy minister said the second cargo would arrive on Wednesday. Sinopec will start fuel distribution in Sri Lanka through 150 filling stations across the country under an agreement that was signed uh, with the Sri Lankan side. Uh, Sri Lanka has taken steps to allow three foreign companies that intend to enter the retail fuel market in the country. China will impose export restrictions on gallium and germanium, along with their chemical compounds, starting from Tuesday. Exporters will need to apply for licenses from the Commerce Ministry if they want to continue shipping these metals beyond the Chinese border. It is international customary practice to exert curbs on these two metals. They have a vast array of uses, including the manufacture of semiconductors, as well as communications and military equipment. For 34 consecutive years, Guangdong Province has led China in terms of GDP, remaining the country's economic powerhouse. In the first half of this year, Guangdong accounted for just under 11% of the country's total GDP, with a yearly growth rate of around 5%, totaling 886 billion U.S. dollars. Omar Khan has more. The province's industrial investment growth rate reached 23%, with manufacturing growth surpassing that of the entire nation by 12 percentage points. A lot of that comes down to Guangdong's ability to adapt, transform, and upgrade its traditional industries. Since the years of reform and opening up, Guangdong has always placed a focus on manufacturing. For example, our vehicle mode manufacturing industry has always been a top leader. In places like Dongguan and Foshan, there is a focus on further developing manufacturing industries, including equipment. Guangdong also attracts high-level talents, and they support the development of the entire industry. Vision Tooling Group, a local private enterprise, serves both domestic and global markets. And earlier in June, the company received new machinery to manufacture cases for lithium batteries placed in NEVs. The backbone of their success, Guangdong's first half economic recovery and performance. In terms of economic recovery, Guangdong has responded quickly. Our company was one of the first to resume global operations, and that's because of the province's policies. Many foreign customers have come back to visit us, so we should maintain this openness. Support for the private economy's recovery has also been helpful, specifically the government's support for the new energy sector, which is boosting consumption levels and promoting rapid recovery. Though business remains steady and on the rise for Vision Tooling Group, China's top leadership has been unwavering in its pursuit to improve the economy. Analysts also see areas of improvement in how businesses plan for the medium to long term. Still, geopolitics and global economic headwinds remain and can't be ignored. And with China only seven months removed from pandemic restrictions, there's plenty of anticipation and expectation as the country's economy heads into the second half of the year. And that was Omar Khan reporting. Saudi Arabia's gross domestic product registered 1.1% growth in the second quarter of 2023 compared to Q2 last year. The General Authority of Stats says uh, the GDP in the second quarter showed a 5.5% increase in non-oil activities and a 4.2% decrease in oil activities. The authority had announced 3.9% growth in the first quarter. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's divers continue to shine at the World University Games in Chengdu. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. 
Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 46 past the hour now and turning to sports. Here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. Chinese divers continue to shine at World University Games in Chengdu as Chen Jia and Wang Yi completed a 1-2 finish in the women's 1-meter sprint boards. It came after Olympic champion Zhang Jiaqi won the women's 10-meter synchronized platform about a week after she won the same event at World Aquatics Championships. Meantime, in the pool, top Chinese swimmers Zhang Yufei and Qin Haiyang took top spots in their pre preliminary rounds of competition. Chang and Qing went to Chengdu on the heels of their World Aquatics Championships campaign. Chinese paddlers also displayed fine form with both the men's and women's squads reaching the team event's finals. For more on the Chengdu Games, Tian Yu is now on the line with us. Um, Tian Yu, another day of success for Chinese athletes. What events caught your attention today? Well, for this Tuesday, we have heard some great news from water-related events. In swimming, like you said, two Chinese stars, Zhang Yufei and Qing Haiyang, who have made a lot of headlines recently on social media, have both secured their places in the quarterfinals of their individual events. Qing Haiyang, the newly crowned king of breast, uh, breaststroke, ranked second in the heat of men's 100 meters breaststroke. He brought in uh, his good form to Chengdu from the FINA World Championships in Japan, where he broke the world record of men's 200 meters breaststroke event and won the gold medal there. The 24-year-old swimmer has claimed four golds and one silver in the tournament and has become the first player to claim gold medals in all breaststroke events in a single world championship. And also the heat of women's 50 meters butterfly has been quite an easy journey for Zhang Yufei, who dominated the game with a time of a little over uh, 25.8 seconds. Her personal best in 50 meters butterfly was 25.05 in the FINA tournament this year, where she refreshed the Asian record. Also in diving at the women's one-meter springboard final, Chinese divers Chen Jia and Wang Yi have claimed the gold and silver medal for the team, respectively. Chen chose the most difficult set of movements in her fourth jump and helped China get the third gold medal in diving. Unfortunately, in judo, Chinese players didn't get a chance to stand on the podium as they were eliminated in both men's and women's team events. But in shooting, Team China has managed to clinch five medals in both men's and women's individual as well as team events, Yang Guang. Uh, well, there are plenty of events where Chinese athletes should be gold medal contenders in Wednesday's action. What competitions will be your focus? Well, for Wednesday, I think we can certainly enjoy some of the athletics matches. We're going to see six gold medals created in athletics, like the uh, long jump, shot put, and 100 meters sprint matches are all going to be staged on Wednesday, so let's see if there are any promising newcomers popping up in the games. Also, for badminton lovers, uh, and I'm talking about you, Yang Guang, we'll see a gold medal produced in the mixed team event, so don't miss it and check out how the Chinese shuttlers are doing. And in basketball, Chinese men's team will confront against the Team Mongolia. It's a must-win match for Team China, because so far they have suffered three straight losses in this, in this year's event, and they received uh, lots of uh, criticism for the bad results. But according to a player of the team, Zhang Ning, the team will make some positive adjustments in later, in later matches, and let's see how that will work. And finally, in swimming, we'll see uh, six goals in different events like 4x100 meters medley re- relay and 100 meters breaststroke. And the names I've mentioned earlier, Zhang Yufei and Qing Haiyang, will both be there. So make sure to tune in to these games and keep an eye on these players, Yang Guang. 
Yes, of course, we won't miss the action. That was Tianyu in Chengdu. At the FIFA Women's World Cup, the United States barely escaped from group stage after a goalless draw against Portugal. The U.S. almost conceded a stoppage time goal, but Portuguese forward Ana Capeta's strike was denied by the post. A loss would have knocked out the defending champions. They progressed with the Netherlands, which routed Vietnam 7-0 to top Group E. It represented the biggest score gap at this year's World Cup. In Monday's action, co-host Australia trounced Canada 4-0, advancing to the round of 16. The loss means Olympic champion Canada has been knocked out at the group stage. Australian head coach Tony Gustafsson says the team played on their top level to earn a well-deserved victory. We know we might not have the best team on paper. We might not have the most top players in the top clubs in the top leagues. But we have something else that no one can take away from this team. And that's the identity and the DNA and the belief that lives in it. And then being on home soil with the support as well from the fans, we have something unique, which means we know we can be anyone any given day when we come up with our A game. Nigeria progressed from the same group despite a goalie straw with Ireland. Brazilian midfielder Fabinho has joined Saudi club Al-Idihad from Liverpool on a three-year deal. Reports say that the Saudi Pro League champions paid £40 million for the 29-year-olds. Media earlier suggested that the deal might be delayed due to the breed of Fabinho's dogs, which are prohibited from entering Saudi Arabia. Fabinho will join Ballantor winner Karim Benzema and the former Chelsea midfielder Angolo Kanti at the Jeddah-based club. Liverpool has appointed Virgil van Dijk as the club's new skipper, with fellow defender Trent Alexander-Arnold taking on the vice-captain's role. Van Dijk, who also captains the Netherlands national team, will replace Jordan Henderson after the England midfielder joined the Saudi Pro League club Al-Idifak last week, ending a 12-year stay at Anfield. For the upcoming season, Liverpool will not feature in the Champions League for the first time since manager Jurgen Klopp's first full season with the team in 2016. And finally, Chinese tennis star Wu Yibing collapsed onto the court during a hard-court match in Washington. Wu was forced to retire from his first-round match against Japan's Yusuke Watanuki in a distressing scene at the City Open. He was leading four games to one in the opening set when he appeared to suffer from a heat stroke amid a sweltering condition in the American capital. A number of officials eventually helped the Chinese player to his feet. Fellow Chinese player Shang Junchen has progressed to the second round after dispatching Emilio Gomez. The teenager next faces home favorite Ben Shelton. Elsewhere, players including Gail Manfield, Mackenzie McDonald and Alexander Bublik have also advanced. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. This is the Beijing Hour. And coming up in culture, uh, tracing the evolution of China's writing system. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Uh, 54 past the hour now. In culture and entertainment, Chinese characters hold a prominent place among the world's many writing systems. In Chengdu, the host city of this year's World University Games, a new exhibition delves into the rich history and evolution of these systems over the centuries. And Yang Jinghao spoke with the uh, exhibition staff and visitors. Step into the world of Chinese characters. 
titled Splendor of Chinese Civilization in Writing, the exhibition in Chengdu looks closely at the evolutionary journey of one of the world's oldest writing systems. Among the 220 exhibits, over 90 percent are priceless cultural relics, notably the collection of poems by Du Fu, unseen for over two decades, has captivated numerous visitors this time. From tortoise shears with intricate carvings to bronze wares and bamboo slips, these relics demonstrate the continuous evolution of Chinese characters. And the varied mediums used for writing. Each change is said to reflect the unique philosophical and aesthetic expressions of different eras. An ancient writing system that is still used today, Hanzi, has served as a bridge between China and the world. It plays an important role in sustaining national unity and promoting ethnic integration. The exhibition coincides with ongoing World University Games in Chengdu. Join a large number of daily visitors eager to learn about Chinese culture. This exhibition showcases the depth and richness of traditional Chinese culture and provides a clear historical context of Chinese characters. And every visitor can truly appreciate the beauty of these relics. I brought my child here, and she's fascinated by many of the exhibits, especially the bronze wares adorned with ancient characters. I rented an audio guide to help her better understand the history behind our characters. The work of renowned ancient calligraphers are among the highlights currently captivating visitors. Characters transcend mere writing; they are believed to reveal a person's personality and thoughts. Even in an age of reduced handwriting, the exhibition reminds visitors that the historic and cultural significance of Chinese characters cannot be ignored. That was Yang Jinghao on an exhibition on Chinese characters in Chengdu. Uh, dance drama One and Only has soared to be one of the biggest blockbusters in the competitive summer box office season in China. It's quickly garnered more than 380 million yuan, over 53 million U.S. dollars, in just three days after opening. Directed by Da Pang, the movie stars actor Huang Bo as a street dance veteran and follows the character's encounter with a young talent played by Wang Yibo,、uh, who he invites to join his club. However, as they pursue their dreams, they face unforeseen challenges along the way. The movie represents Da Pang's second directorial、uh, adventure following last year's comedy film Post Truth. Asia's biggest digital games event, China Joy, has wrapped up in Shanghai with over 340,000 visits. The four-day event covered animation, esports, and intelligent entertainment, presenting the development of the digital entertainment industry driven by new technologies. Visitor Tang Yun says the exhibition is exciting for animation lovers like her. I like watching animation, and I'm also interested in Garage Kids. A lot of young people like these products, and this is a way for us to relax while hanging out. I think this expo is pretty good. Among the highlights,、uh, the event displayed a Chinese team、uh, EDG's League of Legends trophy. Nearly 500 exhibitors from 22 countries and regions participated in the expo. 
We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Beijing's at 25 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, we'll see a slight rain with a high of 32. Chongqing's down to 26, then moderate rainfall in 33. Lhasa dips to 14, then a slight rain in 24. Hong Kong's at 27 this evening. It'll be sunny in 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 25 overnight, slight rain in 34 on Wednesday. Islamabad's uh, clear in 25 this evening, then a slight rain in 34. Bangkok's down to 28, then a slight rain in 34 on Wednesday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a slight rain in 23 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 12 this evening, then a slight rain in 18. Auckland's at 10 overnight, then some rain in 12. Port Vila, a slight rain in 24 Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the intense rainfall in Beijing over the past few days has killed 11 people, with many others still missing. And Tuesday marked the 96th founding anniversary of the People's Liberation Army. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.